This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. Filmmaker Greg Barker's new documentary, Detainee 001, comes at a turning point in U.S. history, and its timing could not be more ideal. The story of John Walker Lind, the American Taliban, makes for a poignant narrative as the United States stands on the cusp of the 20th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks and is ending its war in Afghanistan. Lind was among hundreds of Taliban fighters captured in the early days of the Afghan war, but his background, a white kid from Marin County, California, who converted to Islam and went pursuing jihad with the Taliban, as well as his status as the first 001 uh, detainee in the war on terror, captured the headlines and the attentions of the highest people in power, like President George W. Bush. Greg Barker, thanks for joining us on Political Theater. My pleasure. Before we get into some of the particulars, you know, of of the process and how you got uh, some of this footage of of early interviews with Lind and the the war uh, in in Afghanistan, just take us there because you are, you know, you this is not your first documentary about Afghanistan, about the war on terror, on a, Iraq, and everything that's come from nine eleven. You've got a lot of experience uh, as a as a journalist in these combat zones too. Take us there. I mean, we're twenty years removed uh, from these events. But here we are. All this narrative, if you will, is coming up. Put us there um, and and tell us about what it was like making that and what was going through your mind as you were revisiting these areas that are so familiar to you. It's just so long ago. I think that's what it just. So I first went to Afghanistan, I think, in for Frontline for PBS in January or February of 2002. So doing a film about the war, what had just happened. Right. And. Uh, and ended up meeting a lot of the guys who were part of the Special Forces A-teams who went in because the Army made them available because uh, at the time, it was like that was the war. Like, we didn't know we were on the cusp of a 20-year global war on terror or the longest war in American history. And there were like 100 Special Forces guys, CIA officers, air power, but it was a small war. Um, and reliving that, which I'd actually done in another film I did about those Special Forces A-teams, it's just Le- so Le- Legion of Brothers, right? Legion That's of the- Brothers, yeah. yeah, which was for CNN Films, but, but uh, as it happens, had the same executive producer who greenlit um, Detainee 001. We've together, he used to work for ABC News as a producer and was there at the time as well. We have this kind of fascination with unpacking these origin stories about about because I think the war on terror, because I think you can learn a lot about where we are today as a country by looking at how it all began. Because as you say, there's just so much has happened since in our country and politically. It's like just trying to think, okay, there was a small kind of short war in Afghanistan before the kind of nation building. And that happened before the war in Iraq and before ISIS and all of this stuff. It's really hard to, to unpack it. But I think doing so and then focusing on the particular story, in this case, frankly, one of the greatest stories I've ever come across as a filmmaker, 
John Walker Lind, who appeared sort of out of nowhere in this medieval prison in northern Afghanistan after this horrific kind of battle that seems like it was from, you know, centuries ago. It's like, it's an amazing story. And so, but it's also, so narratively it was very attractive, but it also like just took me back to, my God, I mean, it's been so long and it's so easy to forget how it all began. And yet I think looking at those origin stories helps us understand what we're living in now. The footage that you have uh, from from the the war theater is just so compelling. Whether it's from uh, the, this crazy medieval prison outside of Mazar Sharif that uh, where Lynn was involved in a prison uprising, or the field hospital, it seemed like where he was being treated for his wounds. Um, you know, talk about this. Talk about this prison. You know, where 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 this uprising happened and where the first uh, American casualty, uh, who is a, a part of the film as well, uh, took place. Yeah, I mean, it's like so. The film is yeah about John Walker Lind on one level. It's also about this battle that was massive news at the time. It's like seven day battle at the, uh, at this um, fortress called Kali Jangi where. General Dostum, the commander of the Northern Alliance, had taken Taliban and Al-Qaeda prisoners who he captured in the Battle of the North. This is early December 2001. The Taliban are falling. I think it's at the same time that the Bonn Conference is going on. Hamid Karzai is about to be named the new interim leader. Same time as Tora Bora. So there's another CIA unit trying to hunt down bin Laden, who then escapes. And then there's this and so far, the war had been relatively easy. 100 forces on the ground, CIA guides, air support. And suddenly there's this, this close, brutal battle that follows a prison uprising where the Taliban and al-Qaeda prisoners suddenly seize these weapons and kill a CIA operative named Johnny Michael Spann. Another guy who's with him, whose who's kind of unofficial name is Dave Tyson, not his real name, I don't think. But Dave Tyson is there and escapes. And, and then ends up bumping into a handful of journalists who are there. And they film his interaction on camera. And there's these journalists who are there filming this entire battle. And it is bloody. It is close. The prisoners kill a bunch of Taliban, kill some Americans, kill a bunch of Northern Alliance troops, and then are, take refuge in this, in this um, basement in the prison. Dostum, then what we, U.S. Special Forces, Dostum's soldiers bombard this basement, and then finally they flood it. <laughs> and then, and people are in there, cold, drowning. Out of this, after seven days, John Walker Lind emerges with other survivors who are tated, treated to, taken to some hot field hospital, which is really just kind of some rank, dark, damp room. Um, and then these American soldiers, special operations guys nearby hear that there's an American in this, out of this hellhole. And, uh, and that's John Walker Lind. And everything, and I, I know these soldiers who wouldn't go on camera, but they did feel that they weren't sure who this guy was. Was he a CIA operative who was undercover with Al-Qaeda? They had no idea. What would an American, 20-year-old American, be doing and they were as confounded as everybody else. And, and the film is set in all of that. And then he starts talking. He gives really his only interview to uh, Robert Pelton, who right. 
at the time was well known for these books called The World's Most Dangerous Places, where he would go write these travel guides of how to like go hang out with militias in the Philippines or in Central Asia. And then Pelton gets this interview with John Walker Lind. And Lind is, despite having been through this horrific um, weeks-long experience, is pretty articulate. 20 years old, doesn't want to talk, um, doesn't trust CNN, but then describes his, uh, his whole journey from Northern California to uh, first goes to Yemen and then to Pakistan and then ends up with, um, with the Taliban and fighting this jihad, which all happens before 9-11. But, uh, and then is in the midst of this, of, this, of this battle. As a documentary filmmaker, it's the best footage I've ever come across because it's just, you know, you, I wouldn't even make a narrative feature out of this because the footage is so, the real footage itself is, is so gripping and immediate and kind of unbelievable. And so the film is like an immersion. It's not like tell, tell the story of John Walker Lind and like a journalistic expose. It's like, it's the, it's, it's, you kind of enter into this hole <laughs> that, that they were and through the, through this footage, um, which is, uh, which is, just completely um, immersive, yeah. And so that's what the film is. You kind of live through this and through this one particular story, and then the vilification that happens to John as he comes back to the states and the way he's treated or mistreated by the judicial system. Um, it kind of takes us back to this time that I think you know defined a lot of what happens with the way we treated um, people caught up in the war on terror ever since. And that's what I, that's where the film lives, just in this particular story, this particular moment in time that is a incredible sort of story in and of itself. And also I think tells us a lot about the America that we're living in now. I gotta say it, it does combine these two worlds. I mean, you really are there. I mean, we're, we're right there. You can, you know, Pelton gives this incredible description of just smelling fecal matter and gangrene and all this horror. And as he is filming this interview with with Lind, I mean, Lind is being literally like, they're trying to dig a bullet out of his leg. And and it's just, it is really, it is incredibly compelling. And, and it would be, if you tried to do it in a narrative feature, people would be like, oh, that's too gross. You'll have to go to like a, uh, you know, it would be an old drive-in movie, right? It was it's just so so gruesome, you know, like that, that would have to be a, a, a grindhouse kind of movie. Um, and then, but then you also, you talk to Mike Spann, the CIA officer who was killed. You talk to his daughter, uh, who is who is now a journalist herself. Uh, and she talks about, uh, her father. She was she was very young when her when her father was killed. She was a little girl, um, but she has memories of him. And then his there's footage from his funeral at Arlington National Cemetery. Uh, there and then and also coverage of her in her professional life as a as a television journalist in Mississippi. Uh, you talk to some of the other CIA officers. Uh, uh, you know somebody who was made no bones about wanting to see John Walker Lind, you know, hang from a noose. I think is his term, and it does place us in this in this world of where we're at. We don't know where Lind is now, uh, which you you make a point of of saying it. There is this strange ambiguity where, you know, part of the terms of his parole, right, was he couldn't 
have a, any kind of electronic communication or internet connection. Yes. So it's not e- not easy to find him. Right. So he's um, probably not listening to this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, and but yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, it, it just has both of these worlds, and I I just think that the again how how hard was I mean you've been you've been making films about um, about Afghanistan about nine eleven and the aftermath for a while, but this this seems more visceral that in some ways than um, than almost anything I've seen about the war. Was it that that kind of experience for you too? Thanks. Absolutely. I couldn't I couldn't believe the material that we that we had. And, and weirdly, I actually had a lot of it in my in my company's archive through other films. And uh, and one day, an assistant editor was just we were looking through some stuff. Like, oh, what's that? And uh, and it was the Pelton interview with Lynn. Like, I didn't know we had that. Was like, yeah, it had come through some because we licensed some footage of him for another film about the war and happened to have all this stuff. Like I'd never seen a 35, 40 minute interview with John Walker Lind. I remembered the, the CNN news report, the two minute thing where he says something like, you know, I, I gave my heart to the, the Taliban or something like that. And, but in fact, the whole content, I'd never seen that. And uh, so, but I also found making it, I've, you know, usually, Usually people want to tell their stories. You know, I've done films about the hunter bin Laden and lots of, usually some people won't talk, but usually a lot of people will talk. In this case, a lot of the key players, like the people who actually made the decisions, like John, um, his legal team, the, the Bush administration, the Justice Department, Cheney's office, the Pentagon, who all sort of decided whether or not to take the case to trial the special forces team that treated him and then the higher officers who then took over responsibility for him um, in the days and weeks that followed. Cause he was in us custody before he appeared in jail for 50, like 55 days. Nobody wanted to talk. I mean, one or two people like the FBI guy who interrogated him, but most people did not want to talk. And usually you can break people down, I find, you know, just through persistence. And uh, nobody wanted, and I realized that people didn't want to tell this story. They didn't want to relive it because I don't think anybody really looks, comes out looking good 20 years later. And, and it was like the message I kept getting was like, or the vibe was just like, would you just go away and stop making this movie? <laughs> <laughs> which is like, uh, you know, it just makes him more determined to, to do it. But in fact, those obstacles then forced me and my editor and my, to kind of like think outside the box and construct a film that, as I was just saying, becomes much more experiential, lives in, which is what the film wanted to be anyway. Um, but it came out of this kind of this determination to stop this film from being made that I encountered across the board. I, I've I got to say that I I think that this is a, a a great example of like when presented with an obstacle the alternative was better because I mean I you know I I probably watch more documentary films than than the average human uh, and you know you sometimes they're they're incredibly compelling when people tell their stories and uh, but this I can't imagine this being a talking head movie 
Um, you know, I mean, like, especially, you know, when you're talking about uh, this this extensive interview. I mean, there's this one scene where, and I, I don't want to, um, I won't be spoiling this movie at all, but, you know, because there's so much to it. But there's a moment where they're searching through Lynn's pockets at the hospital. And and because a lot of the Taliban uh, people who he were he was um, captured with had hand grenades and were blowing themselves up, there's this moment where they think this guy has a grenade, and it turns out to be an orange. <laughs> and and but it's this moment where I mean it's really uh, it's just a a, a really spine chilling moment. Uh, where you feel the danger uh, in 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 this poorly lit, poorly ventilated uh, kind of grim atmosphere, and then you know what you're saying about in the in the in the prison uprising scenes. I mean the I mean they it sounds like they did everything they possibly could. To, the Northern Alliance did everything they possibly could to kill these prisoners for days, shooting you know into this basement, pouring gasoline in it, lighting them on fire. Uh, I mean it just is just unbelievable and they hear the descriptions from the journalists but then the just the footage is so nuts and then finally that i i have never seen a documentary that has cia field officers performing their job un- unaware that people are filming them there we you we literally have the you know span and tyson interrogating lind outside um, and then the ensuing conversations with the embassy after things go horribly wrong. It's just, uh, it's something that is, uh, as you said, an, it, as an experiential level, it's it's a it, it's pretty unique. Yeah, you can't quite believe it. Yeah, they're inter- they're interrogating John and other prisoners. I think I think that footage was from a um, somebody with uh, Dostum's intelligence unit. You know the footage, the full tape of that has sort of disappeared. But there's there's enough that has passed, you know, through hands, and that you get a, a sense of what of what what happened there. And yeah, Dave Tyson, the who after Johnny Michael Spann is killed, he comes running across this compound straight towards a German TV crew that uh, actually films him running across the courtyard towards them, and they just were there, kind of because they thought they'd check out what's happening out the prison for the uprising that day, a day they expected to, the war was kind of over. And then the, the, the German reporter has a sat phone and, and gives it to Mike Tyson, who then calls the U S embassy. And I think it's Tashkent to say, Hey, we're under attack. And it's all unfolding right in front of the cameras. And I think, you know, Tyson just, he couldn't do anything to stop it. Can't say don't stop if they're going to keep filming. And, and but it's just I've never seen that before, you know, yeah. never seen that. And I, uh, it's it's extraordinary material, you know. Yeah. And I mean, one thing that we, you know, the I I think I would guess, you know, that the timing, uh, as you said, you know, was probably planned out long long time before that mm-hmm. this would yes. coincide with the 20th anniversary of 9/11. Uh, but one thing probably you couldn't have anticipated is just what we saw unfold in Afghanistan uh, over the last month with the withdrawal of American troops and this sort of the scene at the Kabul airport um, and President Biden's speech recently about the end of the war. What was what was going through your mind, you know, as you're kind of reflecting on your own 20 years 
you know, covering this war, you know, being a sort of a student of it and a and a journalist of it and a and somebody who's trying to make sense of it. Like as you saw all that stuff happen with Afghanistan, you know, with the evacuation last week, last month. Yeah, I mean it's the whole well, my first thought with regard to this film was that John Walker Lind was on the winning side in <laughs> 20 years on. That's I I hadn't thought about that uh until you just said that. Um that is you would not have thought of uh, seeing him in the state that he's in 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 your film uh, from that footage that he would have been anywhere uh, associated with any kind of victory, <laughs> especially after you know being the first detainee, as you said. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's uh, in my office walls. I've got pictures from kind of my career, and I've been looking at a lot of pictures from Afghanistan. I was there, like I wouldn't say I was an expert, but I'm done several films about it and was there four or five times over the years, the first one in early 2002. And so I think about not just my journeys, but the people I know who kind of whose careers and lives were defined in some cases, destroyed by what they went through there. And, and, and you have to be asking, they have to be asking what was it all for, you know? And there's lots of answers to that. I know and it's not all futile, but, it is, it is, uh, it's, it's stunning to see how it has played, how it has played out. I mean, personally, I, I, I think that it was time to end the war. So, you know, I, and I, uh, but I think the way it was, the withdrawal itself was handled was, was, uh, you know, this isn't news, it was unbelievably incompetent. Um, but 20 years is a long time. And I think for me, you know, the kind of, the mission early, and again, this goes back to these origin stories. Like I remember talking to the commanders of the of, who'd planned the first. It wasn't even an invasion, but kind of the overthrow of the Taliban in early two thousand, in late two thousand one. They didn't anticipate a, an occupation or an invasion. In fact, just the opposite. They knew history and were worried that what happens to an occupying force of any size. That's why you had a hundred special operations people on the ground. And the regular army was really jealous of that because, and so with the war, when that first phase of the war ended, very soon you had tens of thousands of troops coming in because again, people wanted, I think institutionally, they wanted a piece of it. And we didn't know that we were on the cusp of 20 years of war. That was kind of it. And there was a sense of, you know, we want to punch that ticket for our careers. And and so the big army, the institution kind of moves in and then suddenly we're into a, with a lot of NGOs and journalists, and then we, we're into a more of a nation building phase, which of course had its place. However, that was not what the original mission was. That's totally forgotten. That's totally lost. And, and so I think, and I think this, as it happens, this moment that we end up, you know, covering in this, in this film is really like when the, the war on terror takes a darker turn, I think, because on one, in another part of the country, Bin Laden is escaping. Um, you have in Kaliyajangi, the first U.S. casualty, Johnny Michael Spann, a CIA officer, is killed brutally in a prison uprising. And then out of this chaos, some American kid from Northern California sort of emerges as one of the, part of the enemy. And this kind of vilification of like, well, we didn't get Bin Laden, but we hate this guy now. You know, this guy becomes, a, John Walker Lynn becomes the face of evil 
it sort of takes suddenly what seemed like, frankly, militarily quite an easy and righteous cause, suddenly takes a, a more morally ambiguous turn. And which then, this is why it's called Detainee 001, 001 is like, I think it, it, it take, took us into what became the black side, what became Guantanamo, what became this aversion to relying on the, the, our judicial system to resolve these, these cases. And so we end up into this extrajudicial sort of territory, which doesn't just apply to court cases, but applies to Jones strikes and the whole execution of this war. And, and I think looking back, it was around this time. It was this. It was early December two thousand one when a lot of this, this tonal shift happened, and a lot of it was embodied in, you know, the story of this of this of this kid from Marin County who became the face of evil. I can't recommend it as a sort of a. Um, it, it's it's hard to call it entertaining, but it it is. Um, but it's, it's also it's an entertaining. So it is a yeah. giving movie. Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, thought- it's, it's meant to be to work as a movie. It's not yeah, a and yeah. thought provoking, and you know, again, with what we're as we struggle to you know get past this point and digest what's happened in Afghanistan, and also approaching this nine eleven anniversary, it's a it's a real um, it's a it's a great you know sort of touchstone on it. So um, again, it premieres on Showtime on Friday, September tenth, um, and you know, good luck with it. I really appreciate you know, you're taking the time and sharing your thoughts about, about the movie. I, I feel like we could talk about it for longer, but, uh, you know, we're, I want to, I want to respect our, <laughs> your time and our listeners time. Uh, and I want them to watch it too. I want to leave, some, leave yeah. something on the table. So. <laughs> <laughs> watch it, talk about it. Thanks very much. Right. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Craig. Okay, take care.